Isn't that awesome? Don is a friend of mine, and he sits at the back right back there during the 1130 service, and it's just so fun uh, to see him. He's not, contrary to what you would think, an 80s rock star. <laughs> he's, he's actually like a genius businessman. Uh, and and so, so look for him when you see him say hi. I'm actually going to share with you a little bit more from Don at the, at the very end of the message. How about that wind yesterday? Seriously? Just craziness. I, I realized something about myself, and so probably most humans. Uh, when it's windy, I get a little bit jumpy and paranoid uh, because I'm thinking, someone's at the door? Someone's at the door. Oh, no, it's just, it's just the wind. And then like an hour later... Hillary, I think someone's on the roof. So she has to remind me that it's really windy outside. And then she's like, is someone running a tree branch against our window? No, Hill, it's wind. Remember? I mean, it's really windy out there. And there's part of me that's like an old guy from the south because we don't get crazy weather here. And so yesterday, I kind, there was a little part of me that wanted to be on a rocking chair on the porch just watching it, you know? <laughs> Watching what happens, the, the effects of the wind, and because uh, it's, it's crazy. But you are safe in here, uh, not at my park. The park out in front of my house, there was a, like a massive tree that went down. You could still see it today. It's down. It's, uh, it's, it's, I, the roots didn't come up, but right at the ground level, it snapped, and there it is on the ground, probably at this moment with little kids jumping on it. But you, on the other hand, made the right decision to be here this morning, kicking off your day with us. I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, and we are in the middle of a series called The Pursuit of Happiness. And we call it The Pursuit of Happiness because everyone's looking for happiness. Uh, you, out there, people are looking, chasing, trying to figure out how can I be more happy in 2015 than I was in 2014. Now, you might use different language. You might say, how can I experience more joy? How can I have more satisfaction in my job? How can, you, how can I be here, be there? But we're all looking to advance, grow, maximize, go in that direction up and to the right in the new year. And in our American culture of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, we're all trying to achieve it. It's just ingrained. It's a part of our culture. And what we've been talking about is the reality that happiness is received, not achieved. And that the more you try to chase it, achieve it, dream board it, claim it, name it, squeeze it, you find it just slipping through your fingers. That's why so many of us have so much stuff, like Don, have so much stuff and, and resources and money and material things and still dissatisfied with life. So we've been talking in this series about how God is the source of every good thing and that he has a lot to say about what will actually make you happy. He wants that for you. In fact, the Bible says this in John 10.10, the thief's purpose, the enemy of God's purpose, is to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's what he does. But my purpose, Jesus says, is to give you a rich and satisfying life. That's what he wants. And if he is the God of the universe, if you can, you're here, if you can get your mind around the fact that there's a, a God who created, then you might as well believe that he would know how to maximize your life. That he would know what it means to live life to the full, to live an abundant life, to be satisfied and to live a rich and meaningful existence. You might as well go there. And so that's why we're here and that's why we're talking about this topic. And today and for the next two weeks, we're going to be talking specifically about relationships. 
Because there is no greater thing that can add to our fulfilling of a life or that can rob it, that can break it down, that can tear it away. Relationships are at the heart of life. And you know about relationships. We all know about relationships. Relationships thrive. You know this intuitively. Relationships thrive when people feel loved and when people feel respected. Just think about your own relationships. They're thriving if both parties are feeling loved and feeling respected. Relationships are in turmoil when one or both people are feeling hurt or devalued. Relationships are healthy when there's love and there's respect. Relationships are struggling when there's hurt and devalue and dishonor. That's just the way they are. And our marriage relationships are the trickiest of all, right? Because in marriage, you make a commitment for life. Regardless of what happens, regardless of circumstance, regardless of failures and things like that and money and economics and sickness and health, and we say, I'm sticking with you. But the reality is, I didn't really know all that about you. And now I know a lot more about you than I knew back then. And I'm not sure I made the right decision about sticking with you. Believe it or not, I can be difficult to be married to. I know. I know. It's it's hard to wrap your mind around. But just yesterday... Amidst the wind, Hillary teaches Pilates, and so she wakes up early uh, a few days a week and goes and teaches Pilates down on Beach Boulevard, and she uh, was out of the house at 6.30 or 7, and she went and taught her Pilates, and she came back. I'm on daddy duty, Jack duty, and I'm playing with Jack, and then I'm playing with him, and then I reach a point where he doesn't want to play with me anymore, you know, and, and he turns around, and he's just doing his own thing with the cars, and so I get the hint, and I sit back up, and I sit on my chair, and I start working, and I've decided one of my, like, New Year's resolution kind of things is I started a blog, so I'm trying to blog regularly. I'm trying to, trying to write a little bit every day. And, and so I'm sticking with this and trying to push through this. And so I'm, I'm in the flow. I'm got, I've got it going. And then Hillary walks in. Hillary walks in, and then she's got some stuff that she wants to do. And she says, uh, first of all, you know how windy it is out there? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, it's pretty windy out there. And she goes, you see our tree back there? Our tree, it looks like it's, it's going to break. And I look back, and sure enough, one of the branches on our lime tree looks like it's, it's hanging. It looks like it's going to break off. And she says, can you go out there, and can you pull the limes off of that branch so that maybe it'll survive, like it'll, it'll live, and we don't have to you know, hire someone to saw it off because you won't do it. <laughs> you know, so... Um, <laughs> fair. So, uh, but, but I'm in the middle of writing and I, and I just had this, finish this thought. Can I just finish this thought? And she goes, no, it's going to, the wind is going to snap off and we're going to, you know, lose it. And no, I just need five minutes. Hell. I just need five minutes and then I'll, then I will, then I will do it. The next time I look up, my eight month pregnant wife is out in the yard pulling off limes and she comes back in with a cut thumb and a bad attitude. And, <laughs> and she, and she is angry at me. And she says, why couldn't you just get up and do it? And I said, well, I told you I was going to do it. I just wanted to finish this thought or I was going to lose it. I just need it. It's important. I needed to do it. And, and for her, it was, it was a much bigger deal because she interpreted that. She viewed that as dishonor. I was ignoring what she thought was important to do what I thought was important. And so for her, then she links it to other times when I've been dishonoring or she felt like I'd ignored, and it's just compounding this issue. And she's angry at me, and then I get angry back in defensiveness because now I feel disrespected, right? Do you know that cycle? 
that is a cycle that happens. It is a cycle that is real. And in Jesus' day, it was the same way. In Jesus' day, he stepped into an Eastern culture where honor was the supreme thing. That you honored your elders, you honored authority figures, and you claimed as much honor for yourself as you could. They call it a shame-honor culture. If you look in Wikipedia, if you look in history books, if you research theology and your Bible, in that first century and today in a lot of Asian and Eastern cultures, it's all about honor. And if, it's, if you are not honored, then it's about shame. And so they go back and forth between these things. And if you dishonor your family or the people that you're around and yourself, then you are ostracized. It's, it's out and done and away with you. I cannot tolerate you being a dishonoring person to our family. And so see ya. That's harsh. That's the way they rolled. In our culture now, it's more of a guilt society. That if you, it is, it really is, that if you don't do the right stuff, there is a punishment that's exacted, and it might even involve prison time and these kinds of things. But it's a little bit different. We still, we still understand honor, but we think about it a little bit differently than in Jesus' in Jesus' day. I read this social commentator's description of kind of the idea of shame and honor. He said, shame is a reaction to other people's criticism, an acute personal chagrin or sorrow at our failure to live up to our obligations and the expectations others have of us. In true shame-oriented cultures, every person has a place and a duty in the society. One maintains self-respect, not by choosing what is good rather than what is evil, but by choosing what is expected. So in Jesus' day, it's a shame-honor culture, and you do what you're expected to do, or you're going to bring shame on yourself and on your family and on generations and everything else. And shame is a finite, or honor is a finite resource. And so if you lose honor from our family, we might not be able to get it back. That means someone else is taking our honor and we have to figure out a way to get it back. And so we will, we will kind of throw you to the side. And so what do you think happens when people feel dishonored, when there is shame that's brought upon the family? What do you think is the emotion that is stirred within? It's anger. We talked last week about the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and how they position themselves as more honorable than others, that they are above you and I, that maybe if you live perfectly and you do all the right things and you read your Bible for an hour a day and you do this and this and this and this, and then just maybe you'll get to a level that's almost near this religious leader. So you guys, you guys are on, you know, good luck with that. We have the most honor. You, you have a little less honor honor because of your, and we talked last week about how Jesus came and flipped that and said, you guys, you don't know what you're talking about. You've got this all wrong. The law and all the things that you're trying to live up to, that exists to prove that you can't be perfect. That's why it exists. I come and I love you just as you are. That's the message of Jesus, that you are loved just as you are and you can't be perfect. And so when he's, Jesus is talking to these Pharisees, you see it time and time again in the New Testament, they get angry because he's robbing them of honor and this position that they've worked so hard for that they feel like they deserve that they're trying to manipulate God's favor God give me more favor give me more favor because of how I'm behaving and because of all these things that I do and Jesus he's, he comes and he says he doesn't say that honor is bad 
But he shames the shamers. He says, you Pharisees and religious people that are shaming others for not being perfect, you're not perfect yourselves. Get an accurate view of life. So he holds up honor, but he turns the tables on shame. Paul, referring back to to Jesus' teaching, says in his letter to the Romans, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves, which was a revolutionary concept that without Jesus' teaching, Paul wouldn't have got because he used to be a Pharisee. No one would have understood that. No one honored people above themselves. They were trying to claim as much honor for themselves that they possibly could. So what happens to you? Like the, are you like the Pharisees? You get angry when someone dishonors you? It happens to all of us. Do you get, do you get uh, frustrated? Do you bottle it? Do you blow up when someone disrespects you? Or if you're a child of the 90s, when someone just disses you? <laughs> How do you respond? What happens? And what's the appropriate level of reaction that is acceptable socially for your anger? Because you're justified after all. That, by the way, is the wrong question in your outline. The wrong question is to ask, what's justifiable? What can I justify? What is justified in this situation? That's what the Pharisees tried to figure out. They determined what was justified and what was okay in their religious system. So so back, back to you. If you are trying to figure out what's an appropriate response in my anger to, let's just say, for instance, that you're driving on the road, just minding your own business, going the speed limit, staying in your lane, and someone just pulls in front of you, cuts you off, and flips you off for no reason. (laughs) Not only that, but they have a big sticker on their bumper that says 49ers, and you're a Seahawks fan. (laughs) Or worse still, they have a big sticker on their bumper that says Bruins. (laughs) What is a justifiable response in anger to being cut off for no reason? They, they, they disrespected me and they put my family in harm's way by driving carelessly and pulling in front of me. Are you justified in having your blood boil a little bit? You know, Would that be socially acceptable in the eyes of the law and God? Maybe, right? Maybe. Would you say that that's... I just get, just get kind of up to here and I'm just like, ah, I'm kind of angry. But what about, what about the next level of reaction and response is if you pulled around them and as you kind of drove by and kind of went on your way, you gave them the one-fingered salute and you just, you let them know what you thought about their driving and their disrespecting of you. Would that be understandable and socially acceptable. Obviously, they did it to you, right? And so, so is that an acceptable response? Given your anger and given what they have done, could, you, could we justify that? Is God going to send you to hell because you did that? You're trying to figure this out in your mind as you drive, right? What's, well, maybe, maybe I'm just, I'm so, it's a bruin after all. I'm so angry. <laughs> That I, I want to just kind of, I pull them over with my car, like I forced them over to the shoulder, and then I just, I saw this once. A guy got out of his car, and he went, and he beat on the hood of the car, right? So there's a gasp. So maybe that's going, <laughs> maybe that's going too far. Like that is the dotted line of that's no longer acceptable. You've entered into the sin zone, dude. You can't, you can't do that. 
Or, or you're really a hothead and banging on the car is not enough. That poor sucker left his door unlocked. You open it up and you punch him in the mouth. Is that too far? Is that, is that too much anger to be justified for being dishonored and put in a dangerous situation? Or do you go all the way and you're like, I have a, like a one step you know, one strike and you're out policy, uh, and I'm going to call a guy who knows a guy, and y- you're, you're dead. <laughs> and I'm just going to have you killed. <laughs> Believe it or not, in the Pharisees' minds, they took God's law and his commandments and says, do not murder. They took that and they built for themselves a, a way of living that justified everything else except murder, for the sake of their honor. Because I want to be honored and I will put people in their place if they try to steal my honor. And so everything was acceptable up until murder. And so Jesus speaks to the Pharisees and to the people that are just like us, Pharisees kind of sprinkled in the mix And he says, you have heard that our ancestors were told. You have heard that our ancestors were taught by these Pharisee religious leaders. You must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say to you, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. What? Like back there? (laughs) Jesus, really? If you call someone idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court, and if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. That's real talk. Jesus just said the H word. He's he's making a serious point here. He wants you to know this is serious. It's not about what the religious leaders think is like, here's what's justifiable. Here's what we can get away with. Here's how we can defend our own honor. He says, I'm talking about something else completely different. It's not about what you can justify. It's about life. What promotes life? Do you get, Jesus is asking, do you get the bigger story? Do you understand why I'm here? Do you understand what I'm doing? Do you understand what this is really all about? Or are you just seeing what you want to see? Proverbs 14 says, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. There's a way that you can justify and get away with and make a good case for. But if it leads to death, what are you doing? Why would, you, why would you want that? Why would you do that? Why would you keep doing what leads to death? I have routines that are important to me. Uh, I, I love my wife. She's more like in the moment and spontaneous. Uh, but I need some routines to feel like I'm going somewhere, to feel like I'm doing stuff, to feel like I'm building on something. And there's some routines that are important to health. And it's waking up a little bit earlier and reading and it's spending some time journaling. It's exercising. It's doing some things like this. And I can get angry when I feel like Hillary is infringing on my routines. <laughs> Don't you understand? Like, I need this to be healthy. Like, I, <clears throat> I can get frustrated, you know, and, and let her know it. And sometimes when I get frustrated, I get critical and sharp and cutting. And sometimes I point out the things that I don't think that she's doing. 
just to kind of get back and let her know, I'm angry. And, you know, I'm not going to hit you or anything, but you're going to know that I'm angry. And I mean, this is, this is how I show it. And some of you are like, my pastor is such a sinner. I can't even. It's a sad day in our church. Some of you actually, some of you don't think that you're angry. Because you don't blow up. You've been around the blow up types, the, the types that in, they control the house and they control the workplace because when they blow up, people fall in. And so they use anger as a mechanism of control. And when they get all worked up, then they know that people are going to kind of fall in line and walk on eggshells. And, and you think that that's what anger is, but anger can take many forms. There's an aggressive anger like that, but there's a passive aggressive anger too. There was a psychologist who told me the passive aggressive is like when a dog is licking your face and peeing on your shoe. <laughs> a psychologist told me that. So you must be right. <clears throat> but that's what some of you do, right? Some of you, you keep, on the surface, it's all fine, but you're, you're jabbing, you're manipulating, you're working it in some other kind of hidden way. There's a passive-aggressive anger. Here's, here's how some of you get angry. Some of you get cold, and you just shut down around certain people. Some of you just cut certain people out of your life completely. Well, if I don't see them or think about them, then the anger doesn't boil, then I'm fine. I'm not really angry. They're just done. I'm just done. They're dead to me. Others of you use, like, blogs and social media and that's where anger just flies. I read an article this week that said anger is the emotion of exchange on social media. Anger, back and forth, flinging it, flinging it. It just goes, you post something and they post back. And it's political and it's a religious jab and it's this and it's that. There's anger that just permeates. Some of us, we get Anger, we don't realize it's anger, but it is when you, when you villainize and dramatize somebody else's offense. You, they did this, but it means this to you, and then it might as well mean that, which means they're probably going to do that, and then it just escalates, right? That's anger. There's anger at the root, and in our anger, we're killing our relationships. There was a study done not too long ago about divorce. They were studying these couples, and they interviewed them. And they found that they could predict within five minutes if this couple was going to stand the test of time and their marriage was going to make it. In five minutes. And they were 90% accurate based on one thing, contempt. That if between the couple there was contempt, birthed out of anger, gone cold, that they probably weren't going to make it. And we probably won't either, unless you understand what we're talking about today, that there is a way when you are dishonored that leads to destruction. And it's what this looks like. There's an offense, something hurt, something triggers, something happens. And if you go to anger, it goes to resentment, isolation, revenge, destruction. It always leads to destruction. When you go to anger and you don't do anything about it, that's the path that you will be on. That's the direction that it goes. You have a tendency to tear down and to destroy when you're hurt and when that hurt goes into anger. 
Jesus said, I want you to uh, honor is what we're about. And Paul's words were, honor each other above yourselves. The opposite of that is to tear down, to destroy. And that's what we do when we feel dishonored. That's just our human nature. That's our tendency. James 1.20 says, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. But Jesus gives us the other side of it. He gives us some instructions, some, some things that we can do, some things that we can move toward. In that same Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon we're continue, continuing in, the next verse, verse 23, says this. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple or in a church in a religious place, you suddenly remember that someone has something against you. Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice. Jesus is putting relationship with others above religious sacrifices and formalities really clearly here. And he is saying, to, to show you how dramatic it is, he is talking in a place that's three, he's talking in Galilee. It's a three-day journey from Jerusalem where the temple is. That means he's suggesting to you that if you got all the way to Jerusalem, which a religious person might do a couple of times a year, three times a year in their lifetime, that three-day journey. He says, if you get there, you kneel down, and there's a conviction that someone is upset with you. You leave your gift there and walk back the three days, and you make it right, and then you can go back and present your gift. People are just like, what? Are you kidding me? You're elevating, honoring each other that much? He also does something really tricky. Did you notice that he says, if someone has something against you? Now, what did you do the last 20 minutes that I've been talking? You put yourself in the position of the offended one, didn't you? You did. We do. You put yourself in the position of the one who got hurt, the one who had wrong done to you, the one who was offended. That's the way we naturally operate and think. Jesus says, flip that. Put yourself in the position of the one who offends. In other words, see yourself as the offender. That's where you start. See yourself as the one who brought the offense. See yourself accurately as the one who hurts other people. See yourself ultimately as the one who turned your back on God who created you and did your own thing and still choose to do your own thing at different points in your day and in your week and in your month. See yourself as the offender. When we offend, we want grace. But when we're offended, we want justice. The key on this journey that Jesus is taking us on is to start by seeing yourself as the offended. When I learned as the one who does the offending. I've learned that I am capable of just about anything. Under the right circumstances, under the right pressure, pain, and whatever else, I can do just about anything. So can you. So can you. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we were still doing our own thing, while we were metaphorically flipping God the bird, he 
came to this earth, died for you to forgive you. I am the offender. You are the offender. Yeah, but you don't know my story. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what he did. You don't know how this played out. You don't know how she undercut and manipulated. And I know, I don't. I'm just telling you, if you try to fix it in your anger, if you try to do what you can justify, if you hold on to bitterness, it only leads to destruction. It can't go well for you. It cannot go well for you. You begin by seeing yourself as the offender. And then number two, you follow Jesus and you forgive. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Just as you receive forgiveness. That there is nothing you have ever done, that there, was no, there is nothing that you will ever do that he will not forgive you for. And because of that generous grace, extend it. Extend it. Do you know other, there's world religions that they have, they have some good ethics and there's things that people believe that are good and healthy things, but no one elevates forgiveness. No one can elevate, no one, religion can't figure out forgiveness because forgiveness is based on the fundamental premise that while we were doing our own thing, Jesus came and died on a cross for you, suffering the most beautiful, brutal, brutal death that you can imagine. That when you're wrestling with, I can't forgive, I can't, this is not forgivable, your, your image is the cross. That's the extent that God went to. He gets it. He understands. He understands your pain. Lastly, we see ourselves as the offender. We, we forgive and then we deal with the offense quickly. The Bible says, don't, let, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Remember, the progression goes offense, anger, resentment, isolation, revenge, destruction. Even if you're not the revenge type and you're just cutting people out of your life, it still, it leads to destruction. It always does. But Jesus says that this is the pattern that you can choose Offense, there's hurt, it will happen, you will be hurt, you will be offended, you will be dishonored. You honestly deal with that, you admit it, it's true. I, I, I'm not denying that it happened, but then you identify with the offender. I'm just like that. I'm, I'm an offender. You choose to forgive, and that's how you find healing. That's the only way. That's how you allow God to heal. You cannot heal you. You need to participate in the way that he says that you will be healed. Are you hurting today? Because if you're not sure, you follow your anger to your hurt. There's something down there that, that's hurt, that's troubled, that's... Be honest about that. Admit it. But choose sadness instead of anger. That path to anger doesn't go well. Choose forgiveness instead of bitterness. It's for your own good. It's for your own health. It's for your own life. You can't live the full and meaningful life that God wants you to live if you're clinging on to bitterness and resentment because you're still angry. Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Let me just show you what forgiveness looks like. This is, this is what forgiveness does not look like. Forgiveness is not denying pain. 
It's not dismissing the consequences. It's not saying, oh, no, 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 it's okay. There's no consequences now for that. No, no, no. Consequences are still real. Forgiveness is uh, not dictating the relationship as if now because they've offended you, you have all the control. You know people like that? They're just going to hold this over your head for the rest of your life. Now I'm in control of the relationship because of the thing that you did to me. And if forgiveness is not demanding reconciliation, sometimes reconciliation is not possible. Reconciliation requires two parties being on the same page. Forgiveness is just about you. Forgiveness is receiving God's forgiveness first, releasing the offense of another, remembering that it's God who heals, and refusing bitterness and isolation and choosing God's way. Some of you are angry at God. Some of you are angry at God because he didn't fix something, he didn't do something, he didn't change something, and he could have. He's God, he's all-powerful. Certainly, God, you could have done this. Some of you, you need to begin this morning by starting over with him and releasing him. I get angry at God. There's things that I wish that he would have done or changed or fixed. It's, it's okay. He can handle it. But you need to recognize it. Some of you are angry at you. And you need to forgive yourself this morning. For some of us, it's about someone else and we just have been clinging to this thing and we just can't release our grasp. Would you consider today being a brand new start? I told you I was going to refer back to Don. I wanted to read you a poem that he wrote just before he shot that video. He sent me this poem. The Lord is my God and, all, and will always be. But there was a time when I thought it was me. My life had the riches that everyone desired, but my soul was empty, my body was tired. I did all the things my mind could conceive, thought I was Superman, in dawn I believed. Yet God kept on loving, even though I was lost. He came down to earth, he paid what it cost. Still, I kept on doing the things that were wrong, pleasing my senses all the night long. So God did what's best. He brought me so low. He gave me the chance. His grace he did show. Exposed me to truth because I was living a lie. If I'd kept going, surely I'd die. Instead, it was life that he granted to me. Lost in the darkness, but now I could see. I saw who he was for the very first time. I know he's my father. His love is all mine. It was then I knew it was okay to be me. No need to pretend. I chose to be free. He gave me a name that only he knew. You're my released. Now live life anew. Some of you need to be released this morning from the bitterness of resentment and anger and unforgiveness. It's time to let it go. Not to let them off the hook. Not not because they don't deserve bad things, not because of any of that, for you. Because it's the way God says that he heals, that he restores, that he ushers in newness of life. Some of you need a new start with God this morning. God, I pray that you would speak, that you would draw us to yourself, that you would give us the courage to trust you to be the one who heals and to release the bitterness and the resentment and the anger that's in us.